Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that recently beat out Fami Malik in a beauty contest. He is the captain. I won due to disqualification. Fami had an ulcer. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight, we are drinking Duck Pin Pale Ale by Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore, garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. This is a generously hopped pale ale brewed with lots of Pacific Northwest and New Zealand hops. And my favorite part, Duck Pin has big citrus and tropical fruit aroma. And Duck Pin was brought to us by, first up, all the way in beautiful Burlington, Ontario, Canada, a man who knows his beer. A shout out to Steve G. Just a quick note. If you do ship us beer, I will not actually receive it. It never makes it to the garage. It just goes straight to Nick's garage. That's not true. It gets intercepted by warlords. <laughs> what happened to that beer? It was stolen. Well, we want to give a thank you to Lindsay in Bloomington, Indiana. And a big shout out to Kayla in Columbia, South Carolina. Here's a long distance cheers to Ben in Waterloo, United Kingdom. Uh-huh. We, we also have Waterloo. Lydia in Spring, Texas. And last but not least, we have Lindsay in Southern California. So thank you to everybody for filling up the fridge, for filling up my fridge. Yeah. for this week. Uh, thanks for filling up Nick's fridge. We like your jam. Once again, intercepted by Warlords. If you want to pitch in for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And just a reminder, if you want to find our old episodes or bonus episodes, those are on the website in the store page or you can find them in the iTunes store. All right, Captain, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. following is taken from letters written and sent by inmate number 270896, Joseph Roy Metheny, 
while serving two life sentences without the possibility of parole. You have always asked me if I have any remorse for what I have done. Nope. I sleep just fine. I did most of those sorry pieces of shit a favor. They had one foot in the coffin and another on a banana peel long before they ran into me. The first time I took a life, I was scared shitless. I was only 15 years old. I had tried to get this little 12-year-old girl to notice me, but she never would. School let out for the day, and I followed her home. I had done this several times before. She would cut through this little patch in the woods. Well, one day her luck ran out. For that was the day that I killed her. I experienced a lot of firsts that day. She was my first kill. She was also my first rape. I ran up behind her and grabbed her and pulled her into those woods. I pushed her on the ground and told her to take her clothes off. She was a little slow, so I helped her by ripping them off. I beat and raped her for two hours. Then I stood up to look at what I had done. She was holding herself and crying. She was dirty and bloody. There was a big rock lying about three feet from me. I picked it up and started bashing in her head with it. I dug a shallow grave and I buried her. And that is where she is resting to this day. That same rock that I killed her with is her headstone. That happened back in September of 1970. I used to walk back into those woods many times when I was in the area just to check on her. When I was a kid, I used to tear my toys apart just to see what was inside of them. I used to get off on hurting things. It started with bugs, just seeing what would happen when you pull the legs or wings off. Then I moved to animals. When you kill someone, it feels like time stops and goes in slow motion. You get excited and the adrenaline starts pumping. Then when the life drains from your victim, it becomes very quiet and you stand there gazing down at what you have done. Reality comes back to you and then you get scared and you don't know what to do. Most will run away from the scene. The best way to handle the situation is to try and hide the body until you can take a little time and calm yourself down. When it gets dark, get a shovel, a couple of trash bags, and a bag of lime. Now dig a hole. Three to four feet will work. Line the bottom of the hole with trash bags. Strip the body of all the clothing and jewelry and put that in a trash bag to take with you and throw away somewhere else far away. Now take the bag of lime, pour some all over the bottom of the hole and then place the body in the hole. Now pour the rest of the bag of lime all over the body. Then take the shovel, fill in the hole. Your first kill is the hardest. Anything else after that is like swatting flies and stepping on bugs. You will have no feelings at all. 
Yes, I was young when I took the life away from that sweet little 12-year-old redhead girl. I was her first, and I was her last. She has been lying out there in those woods in a shallow grave, cold and naked, for 37 years now. When I was in the outside world, I would buy six beers each year and go sit beside her grave and drink them and think about what I had done at that very spot on September 19th, 1970. Anyone else would have probably started feeling remorse and would have probably started crying at that grave. But not me. Every year, when I would go out there, I would do the same thing. I would relive the murder in my mind, and then I would pick up my beer cans, and I would go home. That's the big difference between me and people like you. I had a lot of bad things happen to me when I was very young. And I learned to block it out over the years. But in reality, all that did was make me hollow inside. In some ways, that's a good thing. For when you no longer have a conscience or the ability to care, you don't have emotions or feelings and no one can hurt you anymore. I sure as hell am no one special. In fact, I am damn far from it. I'm nothing more than what life has made me. I have made a lot of decisions in my life and it's sad to say most of those decisions were wrong ones. I am not proud of the murders I did out there. Well, to tell you the truth, maybe I am a little proud of what I did. I was a hard worker, a truck driver, a forklift operator. But it seems the best thing I ever learned how to do is take the life of another away from them. There were several people that I killed that one might say that I feel bad about, but most of them were living on borrowed time. I feel I may have done most of those drug-addicted crack whores a favor. I definitely helped them to get off of drugs. These are the words of convicted serial killer Joseph Roy Metheny. Joseph Roy Metheny. You heard me just describe him as a serial killer. Captain, you and I were talking about something the other day. I thought it was an interesting conversation. The old school of thought was that to be a serial killer, you had to have killed three different people at three different times. Kind of the new school of thought is that a serial killer is somebody that k- kills two people yeah. at two separate times. Um, you had a feeling that you, uh, to, to be lumped into that group, you, you're more of the old school of thought, the, the three number, three or more killings. Yeah. And, but what I can tell you is if you kill one person, you get put in the category of real piece of shit. Well, whether you're of the school of thought of three or more killings makes a serial killer or two or more. Right. Joe Metheny kind of. I mean, you can't get any closer to three or more than what he did. He was convicted of two killings plus an attempted uh, attack that he did on a girl that he got 50 years for. The problem with Joe, though, is he would confess to many more killings throughout the course of his life. 
And actually, you heard in the first trailer where he talked about a cold case of a woman he had killed when he was a truck driver. And this last trailer to this show, you hear him talk about his first kill of when he was only a teenager himself killing a 12-year-old girl that he had followed into the woods and pulled her into the woods. And this confession actually hasn't been proven true or false. Correct. Uh, Neither has the confession that he made to killing the woman when he was a truck driver. We'll get back into that in a little bit because where we finished up yesterday was covering his trials. Well, his second trial, he was convicted. And as we said, he kind of went crazy telling the jury a bunch of horrible things that, that he did to his victims. Well, he gets sentenced to death in that trial and his lawyer is going to appeal the death sentence that Joe received. Now this would be appealed several times and this thing went pretty far up the chain from my understanding before they overturned his death sentence. One of the deciding judges had this to say about overturning the decision. I do agree that the sentence of death in this case must be vacated. Mr. Metheny, if the record and the statement he gave at his sentencing hearing are accurate, he is a serial murderer. As such, he is the ultimate characterization of evil. There may well be many sincere proponents of the death penalty who would hold a position that death would be an appropriate penalty for Mr. Metheny's actions. The legislature, however, has not established serial murder as a death-qualified offense. In other words, a person who commits two or more murders during one incident can be sentenced to death. But a person who commits one murder a month for 12 months before he is apprehended, making him a serial murderer, cannot be sentenced to death. In my view, this is the judge's view, the real reason the death sentence was sought in this case is that Mr. Metheny was a heinous serial murderer. Because serial murder is not a death-qualified offense in this state, the state of Maryland, the prosecution sought the death penalty on the premise that Mr. Metheny robbed the victim when he buried the victim's clothing and purse separate from her body. This strategy, which was successfully employed by the state in the circuit court, stretches Maryland's death penalty statute beyond the scope of intended but what was intended by the legislature. Well, uh, yeah, but this is the problem is the justice system, you know, whether it's in this country or other countries, there's some really stupid things. There are. Um, and you know, unfortunately that judge has to just uphold the laws in his state as they are created. Yeah. Um, and, and I think he did that in my opinion, in this case, as much as I would have liked to have seen, you know, I've, I've come out on here and said certain people do deserve the death penalty. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm for it at all times, but I think this Joe Metheny is a real monster and I don't know that there's any value in just holding him somewhere. Right, but it's it's ridiculously stupid, right? It's stupid to think that you know, oh, you killed two people at one time. You deserve the death penalty. You killed 400 people in four days, oh, one well, at a time? Oh, yeah, separate times. Oh, you you just, you, hey, we'll give you five years. You know, I, I don't know. It's just ridiculous. Right, right. Um, I want to give, before we go through some of his confessions, 
and some information that Joe would provide to us, because I want to look at those and I want you and I to take a look at them and, and determine which ones, at what times do we think he's telling the truth? Uh-huh. And at what times do we think that he's lying? Because you have a guy here that's been convicted to multiple murders, but he would ultimately go on to confess to like 10 different murders. And it's very possible that he has done some or all of these. Well, he lived a nomadic life, and plus he had some nomadic jobs being a long-haul trucker. But I want to give a little further background on Joe Metheny. So we have a little insight into who he is and possibly how he became such an evil, monstrous person. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dig a little deeper and see what else we can find, because there is more here. Let's talk about... Metheny's police record prior to these this attempted rape and the two murder convictions. So Metheny's criminal record showed nothing more than, you know, nothing more serious than common assault, drunk and disorderly conduct, and an occasional barroom fight. Com- right. Common assault on who? Um, I don't have the information on who the victims of these. these uh, I bet money some of that is females. It's possible, but he could also have common assault charges stemming from barroom fights. Right. Um, but so the thing here is we don't see anything in his background pointing towards this, you know, escalated behavior of this attempted rape and the two murders. But what is not on his record, his record will not show this. This is something we have to discuss. This is from an event that took place in 1995. Joe was charged with killing two 33-year-old homeless men. This is Randall Brewer and Randy Piker. The court records stated that the motive for the double homicide was a supposed turf dispute between rival homeless camps. Mm -hmm. I didn't know such things existed. Uh, Both men, both of the Randys, the the victims, had been mauled with a woodcutter's axe that Metheny kept under a rotting sofa at his Patapsco area camp. Ultimately, Joe Metheny was acquitted of the murders in Baltimore circuit court. Mm-hmm. Get this. The, um, the jurors sent the judge a note during deliberations. Uh, if you like me circle, yes. If you don't circle, no, I always put a maybe on there too, just in case I want to, I want a hard answer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell it to me straight, Judge. Well, do you it, love me or you not? Are you going to take me to the eighth grade dance or not, Judge? That's what I want to know. I would like to go to Frisch's Big Boy. <laughs> uh, the the letter, the note that they sent to the judge during deliberations suggested that they thought that another homeless man, other than Joe, was responsible for the killings. Okay. So I bring that up because we were talking about other things that Joe may have confessed to. And if in fact he did the other murders that he's confessing to, well, Metheny would later claim that he in fact did commit these killings, that he did kill these two homeless men after a night of drinking beer. Okay. Well, and we also know, like we said before, we know that he was homeless at the time. We know he lived in like tent city. So is it, you know, that puts him in that kind of community. Right. And, was he defending himself or defending his turf? I don't know. I'm not going to give this scumbag any excuses. So, Well, I can give you his uh, confession to those murders if you'd like to hear it. Nah. Well. I'm just joking. 
like <laughs> we we need we need to include it in the show um so this is strange though captain because where this confession comes from is apparently joe was paid three hundred dollars and it's been reported i haven't been able to figure out which website paid him three hundred dollars but a website offered him three hundred dollars to confess to um some other murders mm-hmm. they had they had at some point spoke with him and he had said, you know, I've killed other people and I'm sure there was some negotiating going back and forth, trying to get this information for their website. I found this confession on multiple websites. So I don't know who out of those paid him. I'm not going to get into that. I think it's weird to be paying these guys anything when they're locked up anyway. Yeah. But this is Joe Metheny's words. And he says, To start out, I will tell you about myself at the present moment, which is locked up. I am 48 years old. I weigh about 450 pounds, and it's not all fat. I've been locked up for almost eight years now, but when one has been sentenced to a couple life sentences without parole, time doesn't matter anymore. I have no problem with being locked up, for no one put me here but myself, and I deserve to be right where I'm at because I had 12 law-abiding jurors that told me so. I was only convicted of two murders and one kidnapping for the one that got away. I got 50 years for her. The first murder, I was sentenced to life without parole. The second one, they gave me the death penalty. I sat on Maryland's death row for three years, and then they overturned my sentence and gave me another life without parole and sent me down here for the rest of my life. I killed seven people, three men and four women. Two men I chopped up with an axe under a bridge in South Baltimore. I was found not guilty for them because they couldn't prove I did it. Under that same bridge, I also killed two women and one man who was fishing, who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I weighed their bodies down and I put them in that river. I showed the police where I put them about three years later but they couldn't find them. So they could not charge me for those murders. My murder rampage started out as revenge, but ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets from taking the life of another. It started back in July of 1994. I was at work. I was a truck driver. I was working overtime this one night. Then I got off and I went home as I always did. But when I opened the door and turned on the light, I noticed that there was nothing there. My old lady had taken everything, including my son, and left me. Her leaving was not my problem, but she took my six-year-old son with her. She was a crack addict. I would have paid her to get out of my life. All she had to do was take my son to my mother's house, and she could have had everything else and be gone. I found out about six months later She had moved on the other side of town with some guy that had her selling herself for drugs. They got busted and they took my son away from them for child neglect and child abuse. I had no chance of going to social services and trying to get my son back due to my past criminal record. So I took it upon myself with the hatred I had for these two who had lost my son to go looking for them. I had found out from someone that they was living under a bridge and getting high with some homeless guys who lived under that bridge. 
I went under there looking for them. They were not there, but the two homeless guys they got high with were down there. They were passed out on some old stinking mattress, and that is where I left them, except they were dead from being chopped up. That same night, I lured a crack-addicted woman under the bridge. I got her high, and I was trying to get information out of her about where my old lady was. She acted like she didn't know, so I beat the hell out of her, raped, and killed her. I put her in some bushes, and I went and I lured a second woman down there. I did the same to her as the last one, but as I was about to throw her in the bushes with the other one, I noticed an old man down by the river fishing, looking back up at me. I grabbed a steel pipe that was laying by, and I ran down on him, and I laid his head wide open. So I put the two girls and him in the river and weighed them down with rocks. That was a very busy night for me. Five murders within seven hours. I washed up in the river and I cleaned up the crime scene as much as I could. Then I left. Two and a half weeks later, I was arrested and charged with the murders of two men that I had chopped up. I spent close to 18 months in Baltimore City Jail waiting to go to trial. The trial lasted one week and it was thrown out of court because of lack of evidence. I was free again. I went back and I talked to my old boss, asked him to give me my old job back at the pallet company. There was a little trailer on the property, so I told my boss to let me stay there and I would keep an eye on the place. He agreed to this and gave me the keys to the front gate and the main building. The company was on a dead-end road and it was very isolated. It was perfect for what I wanted to do. I lured two women up to that trailer. I killed and butchered their bodies up. I cut the meat up and I put it in some Tupperware bowls and then put it in the freezer. I buried the remains in several shallow graves in a little woods behind the company. Over the next couple weeks on the weekends, I opened up a little open pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches. And why not? They were very good. The human body tastes very similar to pork. If you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. Everything was going pretty good until I ran out of my special meat. So I lured another woman up to my trailer. I got her in there and I started to rip her clothes off and knocking the hell out of her. She was screaming, but there was no one around to hear her except for me. And I just kept on laughing at her. I turned around for a split second and that was my mistake, for she ran out the door before I could get to her. There was a chain link fence with barbed wire on top of it. There was a stack of wooden pallets next to the fence, about 10 feet high. That woman scaled those pallets like a monkey and jumped the fence, ran down to the main road where some guy picked her up. Well, I knew the cops were on their way, but I didn't run. I gathered up her clothing, grabbed the keys to the gate, and I went out and opened it. Soon as I step out of the gate, a cop car pulled up, and the cop jumped out and pulled his gun on me and told me to get on the ground, and that is where it all came to an end. They took me down and booked me. She had told them that I said I was going to kill her like the rest, which was true. They had me sitting in a little room down at Homicide drilling me and damn near kissing my ass trying to find out what I had done. They pulled me out of city jail every day for about a month, taking me back and forth between the company and the bridge. 
I had them going crazy at the company digging up the remains because I had their remains buried in seven different holes. The only thing I feel bad about in any of this is I didn't get to murder the two I was really after. And that's my ex-old lady and the bastard that she got hooked up with. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery danger, and romance, and customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers. We're talking about Joe (laughs) Methanine. Yes. Not to be confused and not related to the great jazz guitar player. Pat Matheny. Well, after that confession that I just read, Captain, that was posted on the internet, people started calling Joe Metheny the cannibal killer. And I've heard rumor that this other name was created by Joe himself. He started calling himself the real life Hannibal Lecter. Now I want to get into a little more of an understanding of these sandwiches, these quote unquote sandwiches that he claims he was making using parts of his victim victims, mixing with beef and pork and then selling them to people that he knew Mm -hmm. that confession was from the internet. You know, somebody had paid him for that confession. 
Where we get this next bit of information comes from letters that he wrote to a pen pal while he was serving his sentence, his life sentence. And these letters, he describes this, stating that this all took place at or near the borderline bar, the place that we know that he hung out at all the time. He stated that he would get his paycheck cashed there every Friday after work. And a lot of people would go to the borderline on Sundays and they would walk over to Metheny's barbecue stand and grab a sandwich and then walk back to the borderline bar, eat the sandwich, and then wash it down with a beer while watching sports on TV. Joe provided his pen pal with the recipe, stating that he would first go out and look for a woman working the streets of Baltimore. He has stated that these types make for the perfect victim, as he puts it, because no one seems to care about them. They disappear, but they are not really missing. He pretty much had the same MO in a lot of these cases that took place leading up to his eventual capture. He would bring the woman back to the trailer late at night because there was really no one walking through that area. His words, no one could hear the woman screaming as he was attacking her other than him, which was fine with him because he liked to hear them scream. And like you said before, he surrounded the whole trailer with piles and piles of, of skids. Yes. Of the pilots. So that probably acted as some kind of sound barrier. Correct. He said if he would have enough energy, he would torture the hell out of those women. Now, I'm not going to go into anywhere near the amount of detail that Metheny has used to describe the deaths of these poor women. Right. But some of them, he basically, according to him, took them to the woods and would field dress them like you would a deer or something that you were hunting for food. He would use a hacksaw to remove pieces of meat that he wanted from the victim. He said that he would only use the backs of the arms and legs. He would then take the meat and he would cut it up, put it in a bowl and rinse it real clean. Then he would fill the bowl with water, a cup of salt and a cup of red wine. Then let it sit for about four hours. Then wash it one more time. Then rub it down with a little pepper and tenderizer. He said he would then throw it on the grill with some beef and pork meat. He would mix it with the other meats and then make and sell sandwiches. So according to Joe Metheny, he was not only killing these women, but he was chopping them up and selling them to people he knew at the borderline bar and people that would walk over to his open pit barbecue stand. Yeah. One of the many, um, more extravagant, let's say, uh, confessions that this man has made. And to kind of put these confessions into some form, into some order, so we can look at them, we first have the confession of his first kill when he says he's 15 years old and he killed a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. Then later he would state that on, from what I could find, there was actually three separate confessions where he said that he had picked up a girl working one of these truck stop lots and had killed her while he was a truck driver. Then later in life, we know that he was married. He had his son and he went out looking for his wife who had left him to kill her and ends up finding these two homeless guys, kills the homeless guys. And then that same night he kills two girls that are working the street because he thought maybe they would know where his ex-wife was. 
Yeah. And then they, he has to kill this guy that's fishing in the river because the guy saw him. The guy saw him do it. And then we know that we have at least the two murders that he was convicted of and the one attack on the girl while he was living at the trailer and then claiming that he was cutting up the bodies and selling them as sandwiches. So a lot of words coming from this guy and a lot of people have stated, you know what? He's just a liar. You know, he's just, he's just a scumbag that killed two women, got locked up for life and then just lied about all this stuff. I have some questions here. I have some, I have some thoughts and curiosities as to are all of these lies because a lot of these confessions that we hear from him, that we see from him and mind you, some of these were not provided to law enforcement. Some of these were provided to pen pals that he acquired while he was in prison or he was paid for them. That's correct. But a lot of these are very detailed confessions. So I question the validity of any of them. I look at the first one when he talks about his first kill when he's 15 and and the 12 year old girl. Yeah. Now I didn't, I didn't do like some super digging here, but looking for somebody to have gone missing, to have been reported missing. That was approximately that age in that area at that time. I couldn't find anybody. You know, that's assuming that Joe's telling us the truth, telling us the truth about the girl's age and about the time. Yeah. I think it's a partial truth, you know, but if he, if he is telling the truth, there's no one that went missing at that time. And with it being, as he said, a 12 year old girl, 12 year old victim, that's somebody that I would assume to have been reported missing rather than some of, some of his later victims in life may have been estranged from their families and never reported missing. So there doesn't seem to be any indication that that in fact is true or his first kill. Now we do know, according to his confession that he sold to the website, according to that confession, his first kill was the two homeless men. Right. So we have him contradicting himself. You said something earlier, and I think you really keyed in on something that is, that is very apparent here. Regardless of when this started, this murderous rampage started for Joe Metheny. He definitely to do the things he has done. He has a deep hatred for women, maybe a specific kind of woman. I don't know, but he definitely has a deep hatred for, for women. What, what point in the, in his life did this start? I'm not certain. I can't say with any certainty. What I suspect here, captain is that that first kill that he says that he did to the 12 year old girl. Yeah. I wonder if that was just a fantasy. Yeah. I, that's what I believe. I wonder if that was a, something he had fantasized about maybe even to the point where he had targeted a victim or maybe even followed this girl. Like he said, he had followed her several times just too young to go through with it. Yeah. Or, or maybe he did assault her. Right. You know, but just didn't kill her. That one to me, that confession comes off to me to be a fantasy where I do think that we start to see some truths though, are where we talk about when he was a long haul trucker Mm. out on, out on the road for several days or weeks at a time. And he's picking up these girls that are working these different lots. And he's claiming that he's killed them 
and buried some of them. Now, I could find three confessions, and throughout those three confessions, talking about those types of crimes, he would have had four victims. One of them would have been a daughter of one of the uh, women working the locked. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's what I think in these situations, Captain. He did later provide names for these people. I think that if these people, if there were people that he actually killed in this manner, if there were women that he actually killed in this manner... He may have used false names when when re- later reporting this. Yeah, or just didn't know the name. My guess is that I'm guessing that this is probably where his killing may have started. And it's it's I have nothing to base this off of other than a bit of a numbers game. You know, in 2004, the FBI, they they unleashed their long haul trucker serial killer initiative to the public where they started explaining to us that you know we can come up with about 5 to 600 different victims that we believe have been killed by these different serial killer truck drivers. Yeah. And the FBI stating back in 2004 that there's possibly 200 of these people types of killers out roaming the interstates and in the highways of this great country. And I scary. Right. And I, so I'm just kind of playing a numbers game here. I don't know that he killed those four people. I don't know that all three of those confessions are accurate or truth, but I think that he's probably trying to tell us that that's probably where this began for him. He probably killed one, maybe two women while he was out on the road. And then when he came back here, he tried to establish his life back here. He had a wife. He had a local job where he didn't have to be gone for weeks at a time. Yeah. He had a son that I don't know how he treated the son, but according to his words, he seemed to care about him to the point of at least where he was upset and angered that the son was taken from him. I wonder if there's any truth to there being a son. There is a son. Okay. Uh, uh, he does exist. He's alive. He's alive. Now, what I think about that confession regarding the homeless men, the two women under the bridge, and the man fishing, mm-hmm. I really think he probably killed those two homeless men. I don't know I, I don't know what to think about the two women under the bridge or the guy fishing. Well, the other thing, too, is when you're drinking that much booze and you're doing that many drugs, uh, you know, what part of his reality, you know, was some of this stuff, you know, just dreams he had or was, or did he black out? I mean, how much does he actually remember about his existence? Right. But the reason why I say that I think he killed those two homeless men is, you know, they had some kind of evidence to make that arrest two and a half weeks after they were killed. Yeah. It wasn't enough evidence to make a trial out of it or to bring him to court for it, or I'm sorry, to get a conviction for that. But later he goes on to confess to it. I, I think he did it. I think there's probably there was proof beforehand, and then later we have him confessing to it. He's got nothing to lose. He was acquitted. He can't be charged with it again and tried again. Now, the thing with the women and, and the guy fishing, I've heard from some local people, and I don't forgive me if this is wrong. I can only go off of what these people have told me. They've told me they would be shocked that anyone would fish in that river at all. Right. Um, I know here in Ohio, we have some rivers that nobody would fish in. 
Um, so three eyed fish. So the, some of the local people don't believe portions of this confession or all of it because of that simple fact. The other thing you tapped into something good there too, talking about his mental state. Is there a chance that in some kind of homicidal rage, he killed these two homeless men and then blacked out and maybe dreamt that, 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 that he continued to kill. I mean, you're talking about, he says it would have been five victims in the course of seven or seven and a half hours. Right. Which is very much like American psycho. Right. So here again, I think we have some partial truth to, to his confessions. And then these later confessions, we know he killed these women. Um, is there potentially one or two more that we don't know about? I doubt it. He seemed to talk a lot. He seemed to tell us a lot of, maybe even fake crimes. Um, and he seemed to keep the bodies. He seemed to be lazy about the disposal of the bodies is what it appears to me. Yeah. I think he was just a lazy person in general. And the thing for the sandwiches, um, so, I mean, what's interesting here is I question whether or not there was even a stand that he sold these at, but you said that there is, there's, so Def- I definite evidence or witnesses of this even better. There are um, some people that used to work at the same company with Joe yeah. and people that used to go to the borderline bar that not only witnessed this, but said they have purchased these sandwiches from Joe. Ah. And so you have some of the people that are like, no, it's all made up. He's, you know, he's, he's just pulling our chain. And then you have some people that are like, I'm not certain, but I'm, I'm afraid that I probably ate human flesh. Right. Here's what I think. So, so we do know we have some proof that the, the barbecue stand existed. Yeah. And I was with you. I questioned that it had even existed at all because if you Google some pictures of Joe Metheny, I'm not buying any food from this guy. I don't care. Eh, (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Why not? Well, uh, have you seen his crazy face? He's yeah, got a crazy like, face. You know, a heavier set, you know, chef. Oh, I don't mind a heavy set chef. No, that normally that knows usually, what they're doing. Yeah, I don't like a skinny chef is what I right. don't like. But yeah. I also don't like crazy face chef. Anyway, I, I think that. Ugly face. I think that he sold the sandwiches as we have the witnesses that say that. I think we have a situation here, Captain, where his world got very small. Joe Metheny's world got very small. He got addicted to drugs. He became hardcore alcoholic. Yeah. And at some point he lived and worked at the same place. He walked down the street to the nearest bar to cash his check and uh-huh. sat on a stool every night in there. And when he wasn't in there, he was back in his trailer doing drugs. His whole world was that little city block. And I think his way at the end to, you know, all these people later are going to talk about him. Oh, he's locked up. He's arrested. Oh, we, he was nice. He was this, he was that. But in the end, Joe can go to say to all those people or think to himself, all those people, I had the last laugh on you. Yeah. I might be locked up. I might be serving life in prison. I had the last laugh on you because I sold you sandwiches that had human flesh in them. Yeah. Uh, There's not a lot of evidence of this in the autopsies. You're right. There has been no statements from law enforcement to back up his claim or to deny his claim. That might just be be protecting the citizens and also protecting the victims yeah. as well. My guess is, is it's a lie. 
Right. You know, and, and, and I think, you know, what evidence we have of this is like you said, there's not evidence of such in the autopsies. He described how he removed the, the, the meat quote unquote meat that he used. Right. Um, but we don't see any indication of that in the findings. Well, it's clear from his first, the, the confession about the 12 year old where he is rejected or he feels rejected by a girl or maybe multiple girls. Mm-hmm. Right. And he probably was rejected later in life by uh, women and probably just society in general. And I think, again, that shows his hatred. Maybe his hatred came from his mother. I'm, I'm not really for sure. Hatred of women came from his mother. But what I think these confessions and when people are actually now listening to him, I feel like that was, you know, he knows he's locked away. He did have some acceptance from his employers mm-hmm. um, the, or coworkers. And now that he's in jail, other than the inmates, nobody really wants to talk to him. He seemed like he had some intelligence. So by talking to, you know, people that run websites or pen pals or whatever, maybe he just felt like I have to keep giving them something. And that's right. a form of acceptance. And that's kind of what they want. So I'm just going to play into that so I get some kind of acceptance. That's how. That's my gut feeling on some of the, the crazy stuff he talks about. But what's really hard to deny is that he did have certain confessions that were almost 100% truthful. Right. So it's like you kind of keep that in the back of your head. Like, well, there's not time after time after time where you find out that Joe is a, is a liar. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope for the, obviously the victim's sake and then anybody that uh, bought a sandwich that, that, that statement is false. Joe Metheny was a serial killer that I had never heard of until fairly recently, six, seven, eight months ago, something like that. Started looking into his story a while back. And even though he was the serial killer that I had never heard of, he's certainly one that after reading these stories and these newspaper articles, yeah, uh, he's certainly one that I won't forget. Um, and I don't mean that in a good way. Uh, but Joe has passed away. Um, he did die in prison at the age of 62 last year in August. Uh, he was serving his life sentences in the Western Correctional Institute in Cumberland, Maryland. Uh, prison officials found him dead and unresponsive in his cell. He was described by prison officials to be morbidly obese at the time of his death and is believed that he died from a heart attack. And again, if you'd like old episodes or bonus episodes, you can find those at truecrimegarage.com in the store, or you can go find those on iTunes. And like the captain says, thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And like I say, until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter.